Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. But when your gift becomes a source of pride and arrogance for you, it will get in the way of your ministry. Uh, If there is anything worth bragging about, we should be bragging about the evidence of our ministry. Jesus told us to love God and to love people. So where is the evidence of you loving God and loving people? James said that pure religion was to take care of the widows and the orphans. Where is the evidence of you taking care of those who are less fortunate than you? Where is the evidence of you feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and binding up the wounds of the afflicted? It's nice to be able to run. It's nice to be able to preach to people under the pews. It's nice to be able to do all of these things, but where is the evidence of your ministry? ours to share together I want to talk a little bit about my grace is sufficient my grace is sufficient so I'm reminded of uh, the fall of 1998 when I was uh going to that wonderful land-grant institution just up Highway 290, better known as the place that produces productive people, uh, better known as Prairie View A&M University. On my freshman year, uh, I remember uh, my freshman year vividly. Uh, uh, I remember my freshman year vividly because I got to stay in Drew Hall as a freshman. Uh, Drew Hall was uh, the ladies' dorm, and there were so many young men that had enrolled in Prairie View that year of the fall of 1998 that they had to make Drew Hall co-ed. But uh, for those who are not familiar with Prairie View at one time, like Fuller and, and Holly Hall and all of these other dormitories, they put the girls on one side of campus and the young and the guys on the other side of the campus. Uh, now you go up to Prairie View, they have practically fancy apartment complexes on campus and 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 hotel rooms and 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 it's, it, I, I might be a little tight, might be a little tight when I. Because by the time my sister got there, she had <laughs> wonderful amenities and cable TV and all this oh, no. other stuff in her room. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Lost my train of thought almost going off on that. <laughs> but when I was at Prairie View, yes. I noticed a whole lot of things. Number one, I noticed everybody answering questions with the statement, I'm grown. Are, 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 you, are you going to the party tonight? Yeah, I'm grown. Are you going to this? Yeah, I'm grown. Are you, are, you, are you not going to class? No, I'm not going to class. I'm grown. And so I had decided 
at about 17, 18 years old that I was never going to utter the phrase, I'm grown, because I felt if you had to say it, you weren't. But I noticed everybody saying it because everybody was trying to fit in. Uh, Everybody was wearing some of the same kinds of clothes. Everybody was getting some of the same kind of haircuts, myself included. Even though I was from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'd come down here to go to college, I still got myself a Southside fade. Why? Because I wanted to fit in. We all want to fit in. Even those who run around now, just like everybody was running around saying, I'm grown, everybody's running around saying, I'm different. That's it. Uh-huh. But if you're all different, you're all the same. Amen. Amen. Everybody wants to fit in. And the desire to want to fit in, socio- sociologists and psychologists have said, uh, hits a peak between middle school and high school years. Uh, Some of us may remember begging to uh, wear a pair of bell bottoms, or if we're a little younger, some parachute pants, or if we're a little younger, some Jabot jeans. There there are those things, the the, the Jordans are out. Jordan don't even play basketball anymore, and he makes more money selling shoes uh, after he's retired than he did when he was actively playing. But everybody can tell you what's coming out when you want to talk to some young folks about shoes. Oh, yeah, the retro 11s are coming out on this one, uh, or the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, foam, uh, foam yellow ones are coming out. They got all of these different things, and they know about it because that's what that community is about. They want to fit in, and I would tell you that the urge to fit in never really goes away. Even as we grow into adults, The urge to fit in never goes away. Look at the kind of houses we purchase. Look at the kind of neighborhoods we desire to live in. Look at the kind of cars that we drive. Look at the kind of jobs that we pursue. Matter of fact, when you go to interview for a job and you don't get the job, what do they say? You were not a good what? Fit. We desire to fit in. And then we have book clubs and, 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 and fraternities and sororities and, and, and uh, mothers of preschool organizations and all of these different things. We fit in churches. We gather around like-minded people. And despite all of the things that we can claim that make us unique, we're really all the same. Everyone wants To fit in. In fact, there's recent research that says that that desire to fit in uh, manifests itself way beyond clothes and cars and neighborhoods and religious affiliations and and trying to make sure you got the latest iPhone or the latest Samsung. It manifests beyond that, even into our speaking. When we want to fit in with certain people, we'll adapt certain phrases. And we'll respond to certain phrases because uh, we've all been there, the word of God for the people of God. What? Thanks be to God. God is good and all the time. Uh, But it goes even deeper, not only responding to phrases, but people will mimic each other's inflections and tones. 
That's why certain people, you can tell where they're from just based on what they say. Baby. <laughs> we get to, to, to modify this. And, and, and if you watch, they, they even brought it up to certain things like keeping up with the Kardashians or, or, or uh, vocals from Rihanna or Britney Spears or Keisha. They, they have uh, most female pop vocalists all hit a certain range. Most fe- male pop vocalists all sound a particular way. Uh, that trash we call rap these days, m- mumble rap. <laughs> uh, they all sound a certain way because they want to fit in, whether it's clothes or neighborhoods, even our vocal patterns, the way we stand. Uh, I'll let you know how the sausage is made. I, I've taken some sales training courses before, and one of the things that they talk about in these sales training courses in order to land the contractor, land the deal, is it's called building a rapport. So whichever way the, the particular client is standing, I tend to my, mimic their body language. And if they use a certain, for, uh, certain pattern of speech, if they speak fast, I'm going to speak fast. If they speak slow, I'm going to speak slow. And you do all of that, and then somebody says, hey, I really like that guy. There's something about him. I can't tell what it is. Well, I was imitating you. But we want to fit in. Everybody wants to fit in. And we go a bunch of different ways about it, trying to fit in. And that was what was going on in this passage that was read and you're hearing in 2 Corinthians. It's about some fitting in. Uh, uh, the, but this is a fitting in of a, a different uh, ilk. This is a church trying to say that somebody in particular does not fit in. Uh, they are saying that somebody that does not fit in is the pastor. Uh, (laughs) A little exegesis reveals that Paul was responding to something that the people at the church of Corinth thought about him. They thought that he lacked spiritual gifts. They had placed an importance at this church in Corinth on spiritual gifts. And because Paul was not talking about spiritual gifts, they thought that he was operating in the flesh. They were suggesting that Paul lacked these spiritual gifts, and because he lacked these spiritual gifts and offered in the flesh, they would question what this particular pastor could have to offer to this church. Uh, But we put a little much on gifts. You can go on YouTube and Instagram and all kind of other places, and you will see plenty of of people who are gifted. Uh, There are people who can sing you under the table. There are people who can play you under the table. There are people who can preach you under the table. Uh, They have all of these gifts, but there is more to this thing called Christianity than gifts. Uh, When your gift becomes a source of pride when you got a particular position in the church or you're in charge of certain things or you get to do a certain thing that nobody else gets to do or you get to make certain decisions that other people don't get to make. But when your gift becomes a source of pride and arrogance for you, it will get in the way of your ministry. 
Uh, if there is anything worth bragging about, we should be bragging about the evidence of our ministry. Jesus told us to love God and to love people. So where is the evidence of you loving God and loving people? G- James said that pure religion was to take care of the widows and the orphans. Where is the evidence of you taking care of those who are less fortunate than you? Where is the evidence of you feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and binding up the wounds of the afflicted? It's nice to be able to to run. It's nice to be able to preach to people under the pews. It's nice to be able to do all of these things, but where is the evidence of your ministry? That is what we should be bragging about. How many souls have we brought to Christ? How many people have we helped? Are we doing the work of what so-called Christians are supposed to be doing? And if we are doing it, where is the evidence. Uh, and so these people assume that Paul lacks spiritual gifts and he's operating in the flesh. And that's why he said in, 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 the, uh, in, in the first verse of, of chapter 12 that it is doubtless not profitable for me to vote, boast. For I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Uh, that he's saying it's nice to have gifts, but it's not profitable to argue, uh, I mean brag about them rather. I mean, we live in uh, Texas. Uh, you can throw a rock and find somebody to do whatever it is that you do for the church. Anything that we do for Christ, we are doing it to better ourselves. The church has been going on for thousands of years, and it will go on for thousands of years after we are all but a memory. We desire, uh, the church desires the time and the talent and the treasure, but that's for the betterment of you and the accomplishment of the goals. It's not because we need anybody in particular, myself included. Uh, And so Paul says that it is doubtless but not profitable to boast, and he talks about these visions. Let the church say vision. Uh, yeah, the, the, the apostle had a vision. The people of Corinth were placing vision and spiritual gifts at a premium. And Paul is saying, well, that's nice to place that at a premium, but it's not profitable to boast at it. And, and not only is this Paul talking about it, Paul has visions and Paul has gifts. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews. You don't just give out Pharisee, uh, the title of Pharisee to people just because they woke up in the morning and turned their collar around on their shirt. You had to study to become a Pharisee. So he knew the word. And not only did he know the word, he had had visions. He just didn't brag about it. Mind you, this is the Apostle Paul who was uh, first known as Saul that used to run up in churches while people were worshiping Jesus and beat them up, send them to prison, and sometimes kill them. And then on the way to Damascus, he was knocked down and had a personal encounter with Jesus. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was blinded until he got to the proper destination where somebody had, this is in Acts, when you go read on your own, uh, this is in Acts, he had these, these visions and he learned about it. He became one of the most, uh, the most uh, uh, passionate uh, people about proclaiming the Jesus Christ. So if anybody had something to brag about, it would have been Paul. Uh, some of these folks at Corinth might have been able to sing or run a ministry or, or play or preach or, or do a whole bunch of other stuff. But Paul had had an encounter with Jesus. 
after he had been resurrected, he had a personal encounter with Jesus and he still wasn't bragging. This came after that. And so he talks about this person that was transported to paradise. And, and, and I'll tell you off the truth, I, I sometimes struggle with certain passages I read. And I sometimes struggle with working on certain passages and whether or not I will address it. And one of those being this third heaven. Uh, it says that God, for God, I do not know, but God knows such a one was caught up in third heaven. But uh, they talk about various languages of heaven. Uh, language, there is language rather in the Bible about various levels of heaven. If you were to research in uh, Luke 21 and Ephesians 4 and Colossians 1 and 2 Peter 3, there are all these different things that they talk about it. And when they talk about it, they talk about that this would be heaven right here. And then the heaven that we are calling heaven would be a different level of heaven. The third heaven. And so they talk about all of these things, and then some of the things they talk about is the second heaven being where all the spiritual warfare takes place. And so he said that this person was transported to paradise, third heaven. And what he heard were things that were so astounding that it was not lawful uh, for a man to utter. These were things that he could not describe in, 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 in any kind of language. These were things practically that are too sacred just for anybody. Sometimes God will give you a vision that ain't meant to be told to everybody else at that time. Is the microphone working? Sometimes God will give you something and it ain't meant for those people right there to share. Uh, one of my mentors says you can have a dollar vision and when you come across a 50 cent person, you don't change your vision to 50 cent. You just save it until you come across somebody with a dollar. And so he said it's not lawful for a man to utter some of those things that we are given from God. We need to keep to ourselves until God gives us a time to release it. Ah, and so we had the vision of the apostle. And then there was, we went from vision to vexation. Let the church say vexation. vexation. Uh, what he received, he was afflicted with a thorn in his chest. He being Paul, uh, thorn in his flesh rather to torment him. Uh, uh, many scholars debate on what the thorn actually was, whether it was buffeting, wh or whether it was a physical or spiritual suffering, uh, whether it was buffeting, buffeting uh, the, the swelling. Uh, see, every time Paul went to go talk about this man named Jesus being crucified, died, and raised uh, from the dead for your sins, a lot of people didn't want to hear that. And so they put hands on him, and they put hands on him real good, just like they put hands on some of the other people. We didn't have a nice building when you was being a, a Christian, during what we call Christian now, when you was being that during those times. It, it went hundreds of years where if they found out you was a believer, that meant you was going to have to let them hands talk. Uh, you was going to have to fight your way out of some places because they didn't want to hear that. And so he had buffeting, the bruising, the swelling of those things. And they argued whether it was buffeting or getting beat for telling the gospel or, or, or torment or some sort of physical problems. They don't debate. They, they, there are a bunch of people that debate whether or not the thorn was actually physical or spiritual. But one thing I will share with you is uh, uh, things get lost in translation. Uh, yeah, the text says thorn. Uh, but what he was really saying, when you go back to the Greek of it, it's not like a thorn that you find on some rose bushes outside. 
It says thorn now, but a, 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 a better translation would have been a sharpened wooden stake and a rather large stake, uh, the kind of stake that they would use when they were out in war, uh, bat- when like the Romans or the Greeks or were out in war in battle and they would dig a hole and then they would put spikes in the hole, big spikes, and then cover the hole up and hope that the enemy walks over it and falls into that pit on those spikes. It was that kind of, that's what he meant when he said thorn. And so when he was asking for God to remove it, this wasn't just a minor inconvenience for him to call it that kind of thorn. This was a major problem. This was a major source of suffering. This was a major source of pain. And he had to deal with that, but nevertheless, he still kept preaching the gospel. Nevertheless, he still kept winning souls for Christ. Nevertheless, he still kept planting churches all over the place with something that was the equivalent of a spear, pain, sticking inside of him. And so that's what he received, and why he received it was to keep him from pride. See, when you think that you can do something yourself, you begin to think that you don't need God. Sometimes you need to fail here and there so that you can get a little better. Sometimes you need not win every battle you have. That'll make you appreciate it that much more. That which which is, is obtained easily is not valued. But when you gotta work for it, when you've had a loss, when you've had a scar, uh, when you had something that goes on, I, I'm reminded of my favorite basketball player of all time. It's not up for debate. He's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. It's not up for debate. Not up for debate. But, but everybody looks at everything Jordan did, but Jordan got better after the losses. Jordan was cut from his fresh uh, from the ba- uh, from the basketball team his freshman year, and that made him want to get that much better. Uh, then, when he got to the league, he ran into some thugs in blue and red in, in in the city of Detroit, and they was body slamming him every time he got in the paint. And so he decided to get into the weight room, and he recovered from the loss. And you recover from the loss to get that much better. And that's how he became the one who became undefeated in the finals. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, LeBron James. That's how he became that person because he had the loss. He learned from the loss and got better. We ought to be able to learn from our losses. We ought to be able to learn from those doors that were slammed in our face. We ought to be able to learn from those things that we didn't get when we thought we should have got them. We ought to be able to learn from that person that we thought was for us, but they wasn't for us. Sometimes that door getting slammed in your face is a blessing. And because Paul had vision and he went from vision to vexation, he then went from vexation to victory. Let the church say victory. Victory. Ah, yes. Paul had a request three times. He begged the Lord to remove, uh, the Bible says thorn, but maybe we should say large wooden stake. He said they removed it and God refused them. Sometimes a no is a good thing. Uh, We talk about those things, wondering whether or not God answers prayer. Sometimes God did answer that prayer. You just didn't like the answer. 
Sometimes it's a no. And so God refused and he told him, my grace is sufficient. Uh, and, and so Paul's request was met with God's refusal. And in response to God's refusal, Paul had a, revel- a realization. And his realization is that when I am weak, I am made strong. Uh, when, when, when he talks about taking uh, pleasure in the infirmities and reproaches and the needs and the persecutions and the distress, when he is made weak, he is strong. Some translations talk about the fullness, uh, the completion, uh, the achievement of a goal. What people cannot achieve on their own, God gives us freely as a gift. What people cannot achieve on their own, God gives us freely as a gift. What people cannot achieve on their own, God gives us freely as a gift. That grace, that unmerited favor, that thing that you don't deserve but you still get it. We all deserve death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for our sins. The thing that we cannot achieve on our own is that salvation. That is a chasm that no man or woman could be able to cross. But God gave it freely as a gift. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to Calvary and he died for all of our sins. And that was for us. He was an innocent man going to the cross for each and every one of us who were guilty and what we could not achieve on our own. We cannot get to heaven on our own. God gives us freely as a gift. Uh, And so God, Paul's suffering is small compared to what Christ had to suffer. Uh, Paul embraces the suffering and presses towards the mark of the the prize of the high calling. Uh, There are pitfalls that we are going to have to go to go through but Paul models us for a promise there's a promise from Christ spoken directly to Paul and shared for us or shared for us it's a promise that we can uh, that if we choose not to hide and choose not to try to fit in and choose not to indulge in our own destruction but instead expose our weaknesses to the world around us and the work of Christ that we will experience something greater. We will experience the power of Christ at work both in us to our benefit and through us to God's glory. Christ proclaimed to Paul that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and when we seek to adorn ourselves ultimately not with clothing or reflective of certain styles and are not about the latest gadget or the latest car or the neighborhood that we want to live but to understand that with an open confession that we are nothing but sinners saved by grace. Um, we can reveal deeply in the fact that Christ's cross covered all of our sins and that this perfect life has earned us a right standing with God that we desperately need and that the empty tomb is the evidence of those things and the evidence of the eternal future that's promised to us. When we can confess our sins and expose our weaknesses, we can be, con- we can be uh, comforted in the words of get- forgiveness. The Bible says that if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When I admit that I am weak and I admit that I cannot do this all by myself, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that I am made strong. Uh, And there is nowhere you can go where it don't reach. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. There the blood gives each of us strength and makes us strong from day to day. And guess what? That blood will never, ever lose its power. Christ is walking through us and things that we refuse to hide our shame and indulge in uh, everything that we know we need to extol Christ's power and mercy so that not only that we can be encouraged, but that we can encourage somebody else. When we're able to take that mask off and understand that we are all weak, frail human beings in need of help from Jesus Christ, not only will we be all right, but we'll be able to encourage somebody else who is watching us go through these things. The grace is sufficient. The grace covered us before we even understood it. John Wesley had a card term for it called prevenient grace. If you want some Bible for it, uh, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. It's that grace that covers you. And then that justifying grace when you decide to follow Jesus Christ. That, that moment when you justify something, you align it right where it's at. That's why on those word processing programs, you left justify something or you right justify something because you're putting it in right position. And then we walk on to that sanctifying grace, that walk with Jesus that we are doing in this thing called Christianity and this thing called life. But no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark the road goes, no matter how deep the valley, every valley will be exalted. Amen. And every hill and high place will be made low. And the crooked places will be made straight. Because we in, but not by our own strength. Not by our own power. Not by might. But not by power. But by the spirit of the Lord. My grace is sufficient. When I think that I can't go any further. My grace is sufficient. When I feel like everybody has left me high and dry, my grace is sufficient. When I got more month than money, my grace is sufficient. When I got fake friends and and, and real enemies, my grace is sufficient. If we can acknowledge that we are weak, God's power will make us strong. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 